0: This week, I spoke with Caitlin Burns, a trans reporter covering Congress and the White House and politics in Washington, DC. Caitlin is the only out trans reporter covering politics right now in Washington, and is one of a group of young reporters that has come to the city to cover politics in Congress. And it's, I thought it was important to speak with her because frankly, at a time when the news industry is collapsing around us and more and more jobs are being lost, uh, and our and our basic survivability is uh, in question, there has been this moment where people like Caitlin have started to get jobs and have their voices heard. And I think it's extremely important that, that marginalized voices and voices that have been ignored for decades and uh, for, forever, in some cases, in our industry, finally get their due and have a space within our industry and that we must protect their ability to do so. I'm John Stanton, and this is The 30, the end of the news. So one of the things that um, as a reporter that I've noticed over the last 25 years that I've been doing this unfortunate job uh, has been a dramatic change in the face of the reporting um, community, particularly uh, on Capitol Hill. When I started in 1997, it was pretty much um, a bunch of people that looked kind of like me, which is to say old white guys. Um, There were a few women, there were a few uh, black men, um, but that was pretty much it. Um, and there was a huge contraction um, in the industry around 2000 because of Craigslist, which was sort of the first iteration of what we've been seeing happening to us now. Um, and for a while, everybody kind of disappeared from the Congressional Press Corps. And there was a handful of younger, at the time, white dudes like myself and, um, you know, like Paul Kaye from The Washington Post or John Bresnahan, people like that. And um, a few women um, and uh, no black people at all, uh, no other people of color at all. um, In fact, really nobody other than white people And for a few years. And then the the ranks started to, to fill back in sort of towards the middle of the Bush administration as politics once again became something that the public really kind of cared about and paid attention to as Internet. Uh, sites were beginning to kind of ramp up and become actual news organizations as opposed to just sort of uh, one-off kind of blogs, we started to see more and more people coming back into the profession and coming into the, the capital press corps, and the, the, the face of it changed dramatically. And I think now it, it seems, at least from just uh, from the outside looking in, it looks to be probably almost a majority women, um, and there are more and more people of color. Uh, that are represented in, in in the in the ranks, and um, you know, and, and it's starting to happen in Washington in general, and within our industry in general. Which is what I think for me, the big contraction that we've had over the last two years is greatly concerning, because that is hitting people um, that were marginalized for so long that are finally getting a voice, they're now losing it. And so today, I wanted to talk uh, with Caitlin Burns, who is um, the only out trans reporter to have worked on the Hill. Is that right?
1: That, that I know of. That yeah. we know, it, right? Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right,
0: right. And um, but to talk talk to Caitlin a little bit about her experiences in the industry itself, uh, on the Hill, and um, sort of where we are uh, as, a, as as a, as a group and going forward. So anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Today. Yeah,
1: thank you for having me on.
0: So why don't you tell me some, a little bit about yourself and about your your career?
1: Yeah. So um, I, I came to journalism late in life. Actually, um, I went to school for sport management. When I first got out of college, I worked at a sports radio station, and that was about the extent of my media experience. And I was on the sales side, so (laughs) I wasn't even um, in the the coverage end of it. Um, But um, I wanna say early 2016, I began my gender transition, um, and I really sort of uh, took what I think is a, a more common Path now into journalism as a career. I started writing personal essays, just about um, my transition, my experience as a closeted trans woman. Um, the really early days of my transition, I found people to be really interested in. Um, and uh, the 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 story goes is I I wrote this personal essay, uh, put it up on Medium, like self published it. I expected like five people to. Uh Read it, and the first day, 3,000 people read it. It was like, uh, which is not bad for somebody who's never worked before and (laughs) had like 50 Twitter followers, right? Um, And uh, so I wrote another piece the week after, and it was about growing up as a a closeted trans girl who played sports and really found an escape in sports, because that's right around the time when like the Olympic Committee was starting to change their regulations for trans women mm-hmm. playing in women's sports and I was just trying to give a personal touch to it. Um, again, I self-published it on Medium and what ended up happening was at the time Sports Illustrated had a Medium vertical called The Cauldron and their editor reached out to me and said, hey, can we republish this? Yeah. Um, under our banner, we'll, we'll professionally edit it and um, that was an interesting experience as well. It was my first time with an editor. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and that piece just uh, blew out my expectations, right? I had, I think, 20,000 readers on on that piece, and at that point I had professional journalists reaching out to me, going, you're really talented, like, you have a a raw talent here that you should cultivate, but you should absolutely be uh, getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. So um, they're like, you should be pitching, you know, professional uh, publications that pay, and I said, wait, people get paid for this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I figured out really early on that, like, personal essays tied to news hooks were really hot in about 2016, so I sort of rode that wave, um, North Carolina passed their infamous bathroom bill, mm-hmm. um, and that gave me a lot of opportunities to to sort of get my feet wet in the industry, and, and from there I've just challenged myself to do progressively more and more challenging forms of reporting. Um You know, right before I moved to D.C., I was still a freelancer. I was doing that full time. um, But I was covering, like, breaking transgender news for um, Connie Nast's uh, LGBT vertical, Mm -hmm. um, which is called Them, which is really awkward. Wow. Um, um, Title for a vertical. Uh, And um, there's a, you know, a fairly small um, reproductive health-focused Publication called Rewired.news that mm-hmm. took a chance on me um, to to cover Capitol Hill. Um, and that's uh, what brought me here <laughs> to the city. Um, I no longer work for them, but uh, that's um, how I ended up here in front of you.
0: <laughs> well, so then, uh, you know, I know that you had um, an interesting kind of challenge when you came to, to cover Congress.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was <laughs> a little intimidating showing up on Capitol Hill. Um, I did not have any credentials at all. Um, and I didn't know where to go around the hill. I mean, there's a maze of hallways in, what is it, seven different buildings? And I couldn't even mm-hmm. access uh, the the press areas on the Capitol um, or like the, 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 the subway, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, people hang out for quotes near the subway. It's exits and entrances and like, I remember one time um, I really needed to get a quote from a former senator from Nevada um, about one of their bills. Mm-hmm. It was a reproductive health bill or something. Um, that was the vote was going to be close, and this guy was uh, running for re-election. Was it a Heller maybe? Heller, yeah. Yeah, um, and. Uh, he ended up losing his election, uh, but I was curious whether he would cross the aisle to support this bill. I really wanted to get a quote from him, so I was just, like, camped out in front of the subway exit on the Senate side, and somebody called Capitol Police on me because I didn't have a credential.
0: One of the other reporters or somebody else? Do you know? It was,
1: I think it was a staffer. <clears throat> a staffer? Yeah. Um, and I just... I saw the police coming, you know, I could, I saw them huddle and like they were looking at me and pointing and I had to like just get out of the area uh, before they confronted me. So I never got the quote, unfortunately. Were there um, any other reporters around at the time or no? There were a few hanging mm-hmm. around. Um, I found that to be uh, particularly frustrating. Um, but what I ended up doing was I... Would spend a lot of time like scouting which way the members were walking to mm-hmm. get to votes, and I would not hang out right at the exits and entrances of the, the subway area, but somewhere along their route and try mm-hmm. to like jump in before their staffer could grab me. Um, so it was sort of a wildcat form of reporting that um, sort of worked, and and eventually I had enough contacts where, um, you know, I could just email. People's offices, and usually get the quote I needed. So,
0: you know, I mean, the irony is that that that's how we all ended up hanging out down at the at the subway to begin (laughs) with, right? Like, when the when the group when the ranks really began to fill up again, a group of us started going down there. From um, traditionally, we would stand outside of the chamber door, Mm -hmm. um, uh, out of sort of like the two chamber doors, right? And um, you know, for people that are listening, it's getting into the the Senate chamber is. not easy, like we can 't just go, no one can just walk in there, right, but there, are, there really only are like th- there are three main doors to it. one is an impossible in an impossible area to, for us to hang around and then there were these two other spaces. everybody when I first started always hung out right by these elevators because it was the closest door to the chamber, and most of the members would come up the elevators and they would go that way but Um, you know, when there was only 10 of us there, that was fine, but when it became 100 people that became just a mess and there were all these people and you didn't want to deal with it. And also you didn't want people necessarily to hear, you know, what your questions were going to be. Sometimes if you had an exclusive you were working on, you didn't want to like tip people off. So we started going downstairs to the basement and it was a bit of a, at first they tried to tell us we couldn't and then they agreed that we could. And then now today it's just where everybody is it's packed full of people right it is, yeah. and there no one you know you're doing reporting right like <laughs> yeah. you're like okay well everybody's here and they don't really want me to be here so i'm going to just figure out a better place to be where like i can grab them right i mean that's the smart reporter move to me
1: so yeah and i had to i had to do that like i had no choice but to do that um but there is, i do have a funny story actually Um, involving that sort of long hallway on the Senate side that goes between the subway and the chambers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was right around the time of the Kavanaugh confirmation. So I was reporting on the protests and I had managed to get into the Capitol for a press conference um, that Senator Murray was putting on. And um, at that point, like, uh, I just, my, my directive was get any quote you can from a member about the protests that were happening and that was sort of my my goal it was nothing more specific than that so I was walking to this press conference, which is inside like the catacombs of the, <laughs> the, of the Capitol and Who do I see walking the other way is Senator Bernie Sanders <laughs> who's notoriously reluctant to speak with the press Especially mm-hmm. in that area and the other thing about um, Sanders is he typically doesn't um, attend votes with an aide so mm-hmm. it was just me and him in this hall, in this hallway, like literally nobody else around. And he's coming closer, and I'm like, okay, I have my question. Like I'm gonna ask him. I'm still somewhat green at this point, point. Um, and we get to within speaking distance of each other, and he looks up at me and he goes, "Hey," and I just go, "Hey," and we both just keep walking, <laughs> and I'm walking past him going what was that, Caitlin? Like, are you serious right now? Are you even a reporter? Like...
0: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I, if it's any consolation, I've done that a million times, Oh, my too. God,
1: yeah. yeah. Like, it's just a human thing, right? Yeah, you but... <laughs> come around a
0: corner and there's somebody standing there. Once, actually, I was standing at the elevators, and this was right after Obama had been elected in 08. And, um... Uh, I was standing there with Dana Bash, and we're like standing in the hallway, minding our own business. And the elevator opens up, and Obama gets off the elevator, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the next day after the election, or two days later, right? Yeah. And he gets off, and he kind of like looks at us. There's no aides with him. There's no se- <sighs> security with him. Nothing. It's just him and us. Oh yeah. And he stops. and He kind of like looks. And he's like, "Hey, what's up, guys?" And we're like, "Hey, what's going on, Senator?" Um, and I think, and then I think Dana was like, I mean, uh, president elect, I guess. And he was like, yeah, I guess. And he sort of looked at us, like, waiting to see if we were going to ask a question. And then when we, we both sort of just stood there, like, dumbfounded, he was like, all right, well, I'll see you later. And walked onto the chamber floor. And then we both looked at each other, like,
1: oh, we're idiots.
0: What are you doing? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, no, I totally see that. Yeah,
0: right? I mean, yeah, it's, you're, you're human. They are, unfortunately, sometimes, at least, fortunately, humans. Mostly human?
1: Yeah. yeah. Like Part. 87% maybe yeah, on depending. a good day. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm no, not I'm sure kidding. that
0: there's that much to Ted Cruz. I think he's
1: wow, maybe like 12%. I don't know. Does the beard add to his humanity? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, if he would shave it off, it would definitely, for me, add to his (laughs) humanity, I'd feel like he's doing everyone a favor. Um, (laughs) uh, So you, you, being um, a trans reporter on the Hill, and just in general, honestly, in politics, um, what is that like? I mean, have you had to to deal with things, with with, um, discrimination or annoying questions constantly like these, um, or?
1: Um, The short answer is no. longer answer is a little bit more complicated uh it's um there have been no overt acts of discrimination um and i think that's just sort of the nature of the hill is like i am not the first trans person to stalk the halls of congress there have been trans staffers Mm -hmm. like there are trans advocacy organizations that are constantly doing lobbying so like the Republicans who act so outraged and surprised at the existence of trans people, and some Democrats, um, have all interacted with trans people before. Like, mm-hmm. it's it, it's part of the game that they play. Um, it's more a, uh, I think it was more of an intimidation for me, knowing that I would walk up to, you know, a House member who you know, during his re-election campaign, threatened to shoot any trans woman he sees going into the women's room, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not going to happen on Capitol Hill. (laughs) It's just not, right? But they have to say what they have to say to appeal to their base. Um, So it's more of a mental block of me going, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to ask this guy an abortion question as a trans woman who he's, like, threatened to... Like shoot if he sees me go in the women's room. So mm-hmm. like is my bladder empty right now? Like, <laughs> i better not like make this into a whole thing. like and it was and when I first moved down here, I was constantly afraid of getting caught in some sort of um, I don't want to say scandal, but just um, I was worried that if somebody made a scene about me being in a bathroom it it would turn into a story where I was at the center of it mm-hmm. and that's a very uncomfortable position for anybody to be in. Um, but I didn't want to become sort of a pawn in this political discourse over, mm-hmm. um, over trans people. Um, th- the other advantage that I have is um, I sort of pass very well. <laughs> um, it would take somebody, I think, a couple of minutes of speaking with me to get an inkling that I'm, that I'm trans mm-hmm. um, because people just don't, Expect a trans person all the time, right? So the automatic assumption is, Mm -hmm. oh, this person is somebody who's not trans. Right, right, right. Um, So if I'm just passing by someone in the hallway, it's very rare that I'll even get like a sideways glance. So um, that and and being a white person, like you had mentioned, um, all sort of work in my favor Mm -hmm. in that regard. So yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, I mean, what do you think about about the the changing face of the media over the last few years? I mean. I, like Obviously, we need a lot more, <laughs> like a lot more, but, you know, has it been, I mean, both as part of that change, but I mean, also as, as just a member of the trans community, what is what is your feeling about, about what's happened?
1: I think that um, you mentioned earlier that, that the Capitol Press Corps is probably more female than it's ever been. I think that's a very welcome change. Um I'm a huge fan of so many women that, mm-hmm. that work every day on the Hill in their work um, and, and some of the guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's um, a change that's needed, um, has been needed for a while. And, um, you know, I've, I've made no, uh, it's no secret, but I'm an advocate for more trans people and trans voices in the media as well. So, um, I I take my responsibility as sort of the first person to do this particular role very seriously. And I want to represent the community well so that the next time, you know, rewire.news or Politico is hiring a congressional reporter or a White House reporter, they can say, hey, you know, it worked out for, for Caitlin. Like, we can, we can actually take a chance on somebody, you know, doing this work. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, I take that responsibility very seriously. <laughs>
0: is that a lot to deal with?
1: It depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, the the thing that I find frustrating is, um, people use my trans status to, uh, claim that my reporting is biased. Huh. Um which I think is somebody, you know, is something that reporters that come from marginalized identities deal with regularly, Mm -hmm. right? Like I, you know, if I'm reporting on trans issues, I have a personal stake in that, right? And And a lifetime of experience as a trans person that I can bring to the reporting, which can add depth to it as well. But somebody who's not trans will look at that and say, well, of course she's going to say X, you know, she's trans herself. Right. Whereas, like, somebody like you might report on the same issue and they look at you and say, well, you know, he's going to be less Impartial biased, right, right. Um, by a default. But that's also because, um, from a media standpoint, you know, um, and, and don't send me hate mails for saying this, but the white male perspective is still considered the default.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> um,
1: so, uh, that That is why somebody like you is considered, you know, a neutral voice on issues that impact my life um, just by default of your identity. Um, but at the same time, you have a lifetime of experience and cultural um, exposure to trans people and trans issues. I mean, didn't we all see Ace Ventura as a kid and how horribly they treated the trans character in that? Mm-hmm. Is that not going to be in the back of your mind as you're, like, reporting on trans women in bathrooms or... Mm-hmm you know, whatever, um, and I, I really wish that readers would sort of unpack their own assumptions around, um, around that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and also
0: no one ever looks to, to a trans person to be like, well, you're gonna be the unbiased voice on, on straight white guy issues, right? Like, right? like, I can't, you know, we can't have John write about straight white dude stuff, because that would be crazy. Let's have Caitlin do it. No one ever thinks that. It's yeah. always I can do it for everything, which is insane. Right?
1: <laughs> and it was really interesting too um, yeah. reporting primarily on like reproductive health issues that um, largely don't affect me personally mm-hmm. because a reader who didn't know I was trans would jump in and say oh of course she's going to say that she's a woman she's a bias on this <laughs> and then they find out I'm trans and it's oh well this changes everything and but they still think I'm biased for some mm-hmm. reason it's like it's really weird how my identity gets like, Perceived into my reporting when I'm just like talking to the same people you would have talked to as sources, cool. right? We might have different questions because we have a different perspective, but we're still doing the same work mm-hmm. and we're still verifying all of our facts and everything. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it is, it's, it's, this kind of gets to a thing, one thing I wanted to ask you about a little bit with the, the now the next change we started to see, which with the layoffs and with mm-hmm. closures and stuff. You know, I really felt like when the 2016 bathroom bill happened, I looked at what was the coverage of it, and I thought, you know, a lot of the coverage was very problematic, but there was a lot of coverage and a lot of it in in pretty mainstream outlets that was um, relatively not problematic in terms <laughs> of the language they used to talk about the, the issue and what was going on and talking about trans people. And... I really felt like that if that had happened ten years before, the, the language and the coverage would have been remarkably different. It would have been much more skewed against trans people. It would have treated this like a freak show or something like that, you mm-hmm. know. And and um, you know, and, I, and a large part of that I felt like was just the sort of the. The fact that there were it, that the that newsrooms were no longer just the bastion of white men, mm-hmm. right? That there and that there was a, a couple of like black guys and like a white lady and maybe like you know if you're in New York or Chicago like some like Spanish speaker, right? right? You know <laughs> like that there was now like a and they put out the Spanish edition, right? They put out the Spanish edition, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, you know there's now like a like a diversity of of uh, of, of voices and faces mm-hmm. and experiences in the newsrooms that that. In, that just kind of inherently affected that. Um, I don't know if, if that's like, you know, obviously I'm not trans, so I don't know if that's yeah. how it felt to you. But um, you know, I don't know. What do
1: you think? Yeah, I think um, specifically about trans issues, uh, the the media really started to go through a serious self reckoning when the I don't know if you remember this. It was a sports story that Grantland put out called Doctor V's Magical Putter. Yes. yeah Yeah. it was written by a straight white guy i mean i was in the closet at the time so i had a lot of the same biases as the writer did so i understood his intrigue so the background on this is um that this sports journalist was writing a piece for grantland um about this uh quote-unquote magical putter that was allegedly designed by like an aerospace engineer who like left her job to like re- design putters yeah. um and over the course of his reporting he discovered that she was a trans woman who had um what we in the community called uh woodworking So that means that they basically dropped their life that they grew up in and moved to a completely different place as if they're in witness protection Mm -hmm. and started over in their new transition gender, um, got a new job, everything that was in a completely different field, right? So he had discovered this um, and um, had started pestering her for an interview for the piece and then... Um, sort of said, yes, we're going to write about your trans identity. And he reported the story, and And what happened was is the woman had committed suicide. Yeah. Um. And he wrote about the suicide in the piece and didn't realize that he probably had cap- a culpability in, in her taking her own life because she didn't want this secret to get out. Yeah. And I think that was the piece where large portions of the media looked at this going we can't just treat these people as a spectator sport anymore um like this is uh you know jerry springer level journalism here (laughs) we need to get better and i I thought grantland once they realized they made the mistake i thought they did a really good job responding to it they brought in uh, christina carl who's a sports writer who worked for espn which was affiliated with grantland at the time um to write about what they want did wrong with that piece mm-hmm. they said that they were going to partner with glad which is a um, lgbt media advocacy group um, that works with media partners on on getting these issues right um, and then they i think they promised to hire a trans person or at least a freelance trans person to look at the pieces in the planning stage and then throughout the editing stage right and, and i think the other media organizations looked at this and said this is a good idea. Yeah. And that's when you started to see more and more trans people and trans voices moving into um, the mainstream press and I've definitely been a beneficiary of that shift. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a feeling I know what your next question is going to be. (laughs) Well, um, yeah. I mean,
0: do you think it's um, shifting back?
1: The industry is not in a great place right now. I mean... What did I read the other day? Somewhere between three and seven thousand mm-hmm. journalists have been laid off, depending on which source you use. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's caused organizations to reshuffle their priorities. <clears throat> I've actually written about this before. I wrote a piece for the Outline um, a while back about how oftentimes the first place to go is the LGBT desk, mm-hmm. um, and um, that wasn't so much my case with with leaving Rewire.News. we' mutually parted ways um, They have since laid off I think the rest of the reporters uh, after me but I was not part of that um, but I think editors sat down and looked at their numbers and said, do we really need three or four LGBT reporters or can we just have one editor/ writer that just does? This content mm-hmm. as their primary focus. Um, so you saw that happen with BuzzFeed when they had their layoffs. They ended up with one person on their LGBT desk. You saw it at um, Think Progress did the same thing before they shuttered completely. Shuddered completely yeah. <laughs> um, and there are a bunch of other places that that ended up doing the same thing. And then if you look at independent LGBT media, um, none of them are doing so hot either financially. So uh, what ends up happening is that the places that care about reporting fairly on LGBT issues are cutting back, and the places that are not interested in reporting on LGBT issues have seen increased funding. Mm So you end up with more disinformation out there, um, which actually ends up driving the narrative, and it makes it more difficult for... LGBT journalists to A, get work, and B, have an effect on, on the narrative mm-hmm. of the
0: day. You know, it's funny, I I, I, um, I did a story last year um, as part of this uh, um, video series that BuzzFeed did with Netflix, and I interviewed this woman um, um, named Cayenne, who's a trans activist, sex worker activist, in New <laughs> York City. And when she and I were talking, she said, you know, um, Motherfuckers like you don't realize, but we have always been the front end of everything that goes on in this country. And I, I was like, "What do you mean?" And she was like, "She's like, trans women have always been at the front forefront of all of the issues that face our country." She was like, "We've, you know, it's civil rights, women's issues, everything in this country. We've always been at the front of it." And you know, I started thinking about it, and you go back and look at history, and it's true. <laughs> it's very true. And like, and so then I look at now the our industry and what's happening in our industry, and it's like. That seems true here too. Like mm-hmm. when they when the when my desk got killed at Buzzfeed, mm-hmm. I was disappointed, but it wasn't entirely shocking to me, right? Mm-hmm. But when the entire LBGT desk got axed, essentially, when that was such a huge part of the identity of the company, right, and what put it, put the company on the map in a lot of ways, was shocking, and, and that really concerned me about just the health of the whole industry in general.
1: Yeah, it's. Um... <laughs> It's really scary. I mean, I continue to do the work, and, you know, I'm a freelancer, and I'm, I'll be lucky to make, you know, enough to pay DC rent <laughs> <laughs> this year. Um, and I'm just one person. And I, I can count on one hand how many people, you know, have full-time jobs at an outlet that you would consider mainstream mm-hmm. who are... Who are um, Trans people, and uh, it's it's concerning, right? Because here you have this whole community, and honestly, this administration has targeted us from day one. Um, and you're depending on a bunch of freelancers to 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 cover that. To uh. cover that, yeah, and it's hard to do that.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's an insane. It's an insane task. I mean, it's an insane task for for one full-time reporter. Right. It's an insane task for five full-time reporters. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever have you heard from young trans people? I mean, do they ever see your work and reach out? and?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I hear pretty regularly from, I think the most common uh, is the college student who's studying media, who's... Who thought that they had to be closeted to Mm -hmm. go in the media and then they see me out here doing this and they say you know you you gave me the reassurance that I could come out and transition and still pursue the career that I wanted to and that makes me really emotional Um, I also hear from parents of younger Trans kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there was one in particular, I think two years ago, that reached out to me. And this is even before I became like a Hill reporter. Um, and the mom just said, you know, there are so, so few regular trans people uh, who can be role models for my child, right? There's Laverne Cox and there's Caitlyn Jenner, but they live in a different, you know, Play, at this point, they live in, a, yeah, yeah there's they're, they're celebrities that's like, a one-in-a-million thing, that they are who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, I just wanted you to know that every night at dinner time, we talk about what you're doing on that day. Oh, my God. And um, that is something that I will never, ever forget. <laughs> yeah. um, it also makes me not want to shitpost so much on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I mean you know th- that is actually a funny like part of it though like you know um uh it's there's um God, who was it i think it was uh i think it was maybe like a jackie Robinson quote or somebody like a like a like a black man who was like the first doing something who basically was like there is this horrible kind of responsibility that comes along with this where you feel like you have to be like too good right. Which sucks and is stupid and and it is, it is not helpful to anybody, right? Like you should be able to just shit post on Twitter, because like being a normal person is kind of the yeah the jam, right? Like that's the that's the goal. But yeah, that sucks. But it's also awesome. That's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing that like. But
1: it's an added you know, responsibility on top of you know my perfectionist personality that never wants to get the story wrong, right? So right. Right. <laughs> it's like oh great, here we are. <laughs> <coughs> well, <laughs> Better not f it up. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> So do you do you um I mean looking looking at the industry right now
1: mm-hmm.
0: and with what's happened with with you know the, the the huge cuts to the industry and also just like newsrooms closing and local news dying off and everything, where are you on the the hopefulness for us as a profession scale?
1: Oh God. Um, I I just Uh, If I could get a little selfish for a minute, I just want to be still doing this in 20 years. This is the first career I've ever had that I actually liked doing. Um, No disrespect to sports radio. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's extremely stressful. I do think that we'll see eventually the venture capitalist money leave the industry, which is both... Hopeful for me, and also disheartening. Mm-hmm. There, are like, these news newsrooms will have to make do with less um, investor money. But I think I'm hoping that um, they'll end up with ownership who um, doesn't so much care about getting tech level growth out of, you know, Buzzfeed or. Geo Media, Mm -hmm. Um, rest in peace, Deadspin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's my hope. I, I think we're sort of in the beginning of the end of that sort of funding cycle, just looking at it from a financial standpoint. Um, Also, I should mention I was very briefly a financial advisor, so I'm not just talking out of my you-know-what right now. (laughs) No, okay. That's good. Um, But yeah, it seems like, um, you know, I was reading something the other day that that VCE investment in media is like way down from Mm -hmm. where it used to be. I think what you'll end up seeing is the survivors that make it through this sort of really scary moment. Will have a more stable business model that doesn't necessarily depend on, um, you know, media executives going out and dialing for for investor dollars, and they'll have more stable budgets, albeit at lower amounts. Um, but I still think we'll find ways to do um, impactful work. I mm-hmm. don't know if they're. The, my worry is that we won't have enough journalists to do the job, especially locally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that at least in this political moment. Um, reporters like me and, and you who have experience covering the Hill I have probably a leg up on, you know, a reporter from Akron, Ohio, um, who covers small town, you know, town meetings. Um, and I'm, I'm scared to see what will replace the local paper if that ends up going out as a business model
0: yeah if anything does yeah yeah and we've already seen definitely like these big like news deserts which is a crazy term to exist yeah
1: but there's actually like websites who are trying to fill the void uh but not necessarily in a good way yeah. there's some that are trying to fill it in a good way and then others who are just basically like a print version of um sinclair broadcasting that, right. that just pumps in like right-wing tinged uh, talking points. And, yeah,
0: about yeah. nothing about the local, as with the local space. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so the the last thing um, I got for you that we I've been trying to ask all the journalists that I have on is uh, what advice would you give to a journalist coming in um, to or a kid, college mm-hmm. kid, or whatever that's thinking about trying to become a journalist? Right. Um, you can do broadly. You can specifically to a trans person if you like. I don't care. It's up to you. What would you say?
1: Um to potential trans reporter, I would say be fearless. Um nobody that you're reporting on is going to end up caring about your gender identity. Like they understand that you have a job to do, so go out and do the job. That was what I would say to them. I would say more generally to a broader population. Um, I would if you're a student right now, I would take a finance class. <laughs> Um, I would take a tax accounting class uh, because chances are if you start your career now, you're going to end up freelancing at some point. You're either going to freelance or you're going to jump into a new industry, Um, like communications is usually the path. Uh, But if you're very, very serious about journalism, you have to know how to survive as an independent um, contractor and that means being a small business owner. So I would take a tax accounting class alongside your media classes and um, and really lean into that Um, yeah that's my two main pieces of (laughs) advice Um, other than that you know um, uh, damn the torpedoes full steam ahead keep doing your work
0: (laughs) okay thank you very much for coming on I really appreciate it Um, this has been awesome
1: yeah it was a lot of fun thank you